Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Unk Few. As always, I'm Unk, as is sometimes the case. He's Few. Are you I'm there, Few? I'm here. You're there? We were just talking I'm there. about we, we wasted some good material because I wasn't smart enough to have my recording running a second ago because we were t- starting to talk about uh, coffee versus tea, or really we were just talking about tea, and I didn't realize that my um, gay-ass nephew uh, <laughs> enjoys tea. So we're exploring that, and we're probably I not like, going to be able to recreate the magic we enjoyed just a second well, ago. Well, hey, for, uh, hold on. That was rather too cavalier of you. I'm not... If, if if this analogy is comparing tea drinking to homosexuality, then I'm actually more so bi because I like coffee and tea. I'll double fist, man. I'll double fist. I'll have tea in one hand, coffee in the other. I'm going to grab him by the pussy. I'm going to grab him by the dick. That's my Actually, that's my how I open my stand-up set. It's before uh, I go on stage. I, I say that into a mirror <laughs> ten is, times. Is the response <laughs> as flat as the one you're getting now? <laughs> It is. It gets me. It gets me going. I don't say it to the audience. Ah. They don't need to hear that. All right. And are, is your response to yourself as flat as I expected to be? <laughs> it is. But that the flat. Here's the thing, though. The flatness is what gets me really riled up because I go, "God damn, that's not funny." When I look at myself in the mirror, and then I have to get. Then I get really worked up because I only have a, a few moments before I grab the mic. And that's when all the that's when my brain starts going crazy with options. I see. I'm like, oh, I got to do something here. Right, you've got to salvage the the plane crash that you know is coming. <laughs> I've got to. What I have to do. See, that's the time a pilot gets most uh, creative. Yes, is when that plane is going down and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to digress here for just a second because uh, as you've already deduced if you haven't already turned the podcast off. Uh, we're, we're coming at you today with no agenda. In fact, it's funny because we, uh, uh, b- before we started, and again, I want to reiterate, as I often say here, we take great pride in our lack of preparation, our lack of knowledge, and our inability to deliver anything in an, in an even mildly entertaining format. Um, and we stand by that commitment that we've made to you. So we want to be clear about that. We're never going to back off from our core principles. And that's what those are. That said, this morning, I had this harebrained idea of uh, covering a pretty heavy topic. And we started, uh, we were going to allow ourselves literally about 10 minutes worth of research. And I put together a Google Doc that now is about, I don't know, 10 pages of stuff I found quickly and realized, wow, we can't possibly do that do that topic even our This is how our, this is the audience needs to understand that this is how unk functions by the way the audience needs to understand that we 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 talked about this topic like 10 minutes before this po- before we were going to record like really we didn't we talked about it, we were we set the time to record and then we were like hey what do you want to talk about and we we were both kind of thinking about actually coexistence or you know which is a really broad topic but you know we were like yeah we could easily talk about that for an hour and then, like five minutes later, he texts me and he's like, I, "This is way too big of a topic." I, he's like, "I sent you a Google Doc. Go look at it." And I open it up, and it's like, it's like ten pages long of just dense links and quotes. And like, he just the man is like a, a an internet bot that just scrubs the internet for all of this data and just and just shoves it into document. I mean, your ability to process document you the rest of us will be out of a job. 
by computer algorithms will put us out of a job, and you'll be hanging right there with them. <laughs> you'll be still, you'll be the only one who's still employed here. Well, it's it's interesting you say that. Well, thank you for saying that because it actually I think is true, and it, I, that's always been a gift I've had. And you know, I, I'm an old person. You know, autism. Autism. <laughs> Let's not talk about which end of the spectrum I'm on. I, you know what? I'm going to digress here. I'm going to digress here because, well, in fact, actually, I'm going to digress in two different directions. The first is to say we where we were ultimately going with this, both of us just now, is to say the original vision for this podcast was for Brendan and I to simply have conversations because over the course of our lives together, or at once Brendan reached a certain level of you know adolescent slash young adulthood, we just developed this chemistry, which never comes through in these podcasts, of course. Um, <laughs> this chemistry that we've always enjoyed, which is it's, it needs a little more. It, we needed a little more makers mark in our system. <laughs> yeah, we do. It's and it's it's uh, seven thirty a.m. in Chicago, where Brendan is eight thirty where a.m. where I am, and we've never done a show this early. But anyway. We've always enjoyed each other's company. We've always had really, you know, interesting conversations, at least to us. And we've had other people who have observed our conversations say, hey, you guys should never do a podcast together. But, um, <laughs> but, but anyway, so we, we, but my original vision, or our original vision for this was basically for us to just sit around and have conversations. And it's funny because I don't know how many shows we've done now. I think this is 14 or 15. And we've never really done that in the original vision that at least I had for it. Not not totally kind of freeform, super dynamic, yep. just whatever comes next comes next. So that's what we both wanted to say here at the start of this podcast. But this, the second you know digression I wanted to make is Brendan jokingly mentioned autism a second ago. And of course, we all like to make fun of people with autism. But um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but and I'm being dead serious. I really am being dead serious. This conversation took place last night between me, oh and an, me and another person. And this other person has sort of enlightened me on me. And uh, the older I get, the more I realize, and I'm sure, Brennan, you could, you'll agree with this. I think you will. The older I get, the more I realize that I'm really quite a strange person in many yeah. ways. I just am. And you've alluded to this and. You know, you've always been very kind in your comments, and I've always appreciated it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just not really normal in a whole bunch of different ways. Like, I think I'm super intense. I'm super opinionated. If I have a difference of opinion with someone to a certain extent, I can't be in the same room with them. Um, yeah. And I don't want to expound upon that because I I've already said a lot of damaging things about my family. So I'm not going <laughs> to complete that thought. But, Brennan, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, anybody who listens to this show, which is, you know, most, all three, three of you. Three or four people? You, yeah, you guys know that he, uh, he, it's just, my uncle can go from, from zero to 60 very quickly. Uh, in a whole uh, lot and, of different directions, yeah. Yeah, in a whole lot of different directions, yeah. And in, and, and in a lot of different ways. So that's why the, the document gets populated with 10 pages of stuff in 10, you know, in eight minutes. Like, that's exactly where that kind of thing comes from. You are, you're a very unique gentleman. So, so this person who's known, who, who I've spent a lot of time with over the last year and has gotten to know me really well, she was saying, um, it, what the genesis of it was, believe it or not, I stumbled across an ad on Facebook for a weighted blanket. So they, a weighted? There, there's a whole range of products 
that are designed. And, you know, when I saw this, I'm like, what the hell is a weighted blanket? And I was drawn to it because I can't sleep without a certain amount of weight on me. Like I sleep with heavy covers year round. And and in the summer, I just turn the air conditioning up, you know, as high as I need to go to freeze so I can wear. So I always thought, you know, I didn't think that was anything weird until I found this ad for this weighted blanket. And I started diving into it and discovering that these are designed for for special needs kids. Yeah. And that doesn't su- yeah, that doesn't surprise me to hear that. I kind of knew that. I had no inkling whatsoever. So anyway, um she and I were talking about that and she was doing more research on that because she was she was fascinated by that topic. She herself is not like that at all. Um so we were just having that conversation and in essence she basically said, "You know, I I you probably have some level of that because you're just very, very strange. Like I was also telling her, I went to the chiropractor two days ago as part of my recovery from my motorcycle accident. And he was yep. asking me, and I put in, I have x-rays now finally from the completely inept University of Michigan hospital system. I got, I got x-rays 36 days after the accident. And, oh my God. And uh, there's the, my collarbone and four of my ribs were broken. My collarbone fracture was what it's they just call immoral. It was is what they call a uh, spiral fracture. It runs the length of the collarbone and it spirals. Ooh, Jesus! And and so I showed that to my chiropractor, and he said, you know, do, well, one, do you feel movement? Like, do the you know where the, do the do, are the bones moving laterally along that fault line, if you will? And so I said, well, it's funny because the only time I ever I ever feel anything like that is when I'm brushing my teeth. And he said, well, do you brush your teeth? right-handed or left-handed, aren't you right-handed? I said, yeah, I brush my teeth with my right hand, the, the fractures on the left side, but I put my hand down on the bathroom counter for just like support as I'm brushing my teeth. And he started laughing out loud at that. And I was very confused. Like, why would you laugh at that? Anyway, I was telling my friend the same story. She started laughing before I told her that the chiropractor had started laughing. And okay, I'm like, I don't, why, but why were they laughing? I don't get well, it. Well, I'm still confused by, but what she said was only you would be able to tell someone your exact physical m- movements while you brush your teeth and that oh, you always it. do the same thing, which okay. I really See, do. I'm not laughing because that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but do you think that's weird? <laughs> that you have recorded your no, exact no, no. physical do you think movements it's while weird you brush that, No, no, no. Do you think it's weird that I do what I do when I brush my teeth? That you brush them with your right hand and you put your left hand on the sink? Yes. Is that weird somehow? No, I don't think so. All At right. least I don't. Unless maybe maybe you and I, we could be in the same boat, man. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I could have some. I mean, we both did stand-up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if every stand-up comic at some level has some kind of, you know, special needs something. Neuroses. Um, yeah. By the way, I don't like that term special needs. I think that that's, that it sounds, I mean, I understand. It's like a death by faint praise kind of, you know what I mean? Like there's a, like you're putting on kid gloves in order to just get into the topic. And I, I don't know. There's something about that that feels very condescending to me because we're trying to, oh, there's a whole special vocabulary when we're referring to special needs people. I don't know. I don't you like just that. Go old feels, school, you just want to go old school retard? I don't, I, don't I don't know if I want to go retard with a hard R here. I don't know if that's a good. Well, okay, more oh, okay. Retardation. You prefer that? I don't know. I don't know if that. 
Because here's the thing, that also implies that there's some kind of like it's some kind of progression and the progression is being held back. But like I don't I don't know. Like I think that I mean I'm friends with comedians uh who are one retarded. of whom lives in Yeah, who one of whom lives in debt. Well, first of all, yes. Uh <laughs> and I mean with a hard R. <laughs> and they know who they are. <laughs> But the second is I'm friends with uh, some comedians who are autistic or on the, you know, on the spectrum somewhere. And they're totally functional people, totally great, not a big deal. And I feel like uh, referring to them as special needs is kind of weird. I also feel like referring to them as retarded is kind of weird because they, they're fine. They're totally functional. You know, like they're totally, some of them make a lot of money doing the things they do because they're able to focus at different levels than the rest of us. Um, which I'm admittedly kind of jealous of. So I, 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 got, I don't know. I just feel like the, the term special needs feels strangely condescending in its own way. I'm not going to meet you halfway in that, and I'm not going to because I'm just so sick and tired, as I've documented repeatedly on this podcast. I'm so sick and tired of this word of, parsing, uh, this yep. hyper-political correctness. You know, I, I, I long for the day when... Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. I mean, I'm sure people are laughing at that, but the truth of the matter is that the bulk of my life was lived within that context where people said all kinds of things to each other. And of course, they, it hurt. I'm not suggesting that words can't be hurtful. Of course they can. But what we didn't do was we didn't form mass protests at the, on the campuses of the Yales of the world and shout yeah. down you know, uh, professors and deans because of the use of the allowance of yeah. the use of certain words. I, I just find that so ridiculous. And we don't need to go, we don't need to dive into this because we've already covered it, you know, in our, you know, our so many pussies, so few safe spaces. <laughs> so many, so many pussies. Which the response to that has been wonderful, by the way, ever since we changed the title, the, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, yeah, uh, but you know, and and again, the, why why has the response been overwhelming? Because it's it strikes a chord with people. Because I yeah, everybody's kind of equally fed up. Yeah, with it's it. ridiculous. I think that's, that's totally true. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's totally true. Yeah, this hyper. I, and again, we're off topic, and we're we're now we're, we're now replaying things we've already said, and that's not what we were to talk about today. So, well, I want to talk about the mecca of of this kind of thing, the almost mecca, maybe the second mecca, if such a mecca existed that was second from the first mecca, a secca. <laughs> A seca. <laughs> a seca. A seca. I'd like a I'd like I'd like a seca, please. So what what is this seca of which you speak? The seca I'm speaking of is if the Mecca of of political correctness is you take your pick, Boulder, Colorado, Berkeley, California, uh I, you know, whatever. The camp Cambridge, Massachusetts, whatever Ann Arbor, the Michigan. Mecca of Ann Arbor, Michigan, whatever the Mecca of political correctness is the SECA of political correctness is uh, Los Angeles, California, which is where I was just this past week. Why were you there? And I was there for, I went on, actually, this is interesting to talk about. I went on the Art of Charm week-long uh, training boot camp. Ah. So what this is, yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this, but what this is, is it's a it's a week-long training program in which you you, li- you and a bunch of other people, uh, not a bunch, actually a very small number of other people, live in this house for a week. And essentially what they do is they deconstruct and then reconstruct sort of your social presence and your belief system just from where it is all the way down to 
fundamentals and then back up again so that they're like, look, here's the point of this, of this, uh, of this boot camp. At the end of this, you're going to be able to, to leave and you can start a very rich social life that will feed you, you, you personally feed your business, sort of let you network with high value individuals filter high value women into your life or, or men, I suppose, if you're a woman and you do this program. Um, although my week was all men and it was, uh, it was really fantastic. I've been paid. I mean, this thing is really, by the way, I, so if anybody's listening to this, you should go check it out online. It's worth taking a look at. Um, I've, I know the guys from, um, the Mecca of uh, political correctness, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, they both went to U of M. Uh, one was, wait, wait, st- I'm sorry. Doctor. I'm sorry. Start over. Who the people you're now starting to talk about? How do they relate to this thing? Oh yeah, my apologies. I'm going very quickly. They I had my tea, and now I'm just <laughs> I'm just I'm just blazing over here. Uh, these two guys they started this program. They started this company. Uh, they started it um, years ago, back in 2006, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ah, and their goal was kind of just to figure out how to act best socially. They were kind of, um, you know, one was a doctor, the other one was a lawyer, and they were maybe, maybe somewhere around the spectrum. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> um, and decided they were going to go basically try to deconstruct social behavior and how humans, ex- you know, existed with each other socially so that they could get better at it themselves. And they were very successful at it. And they created this program. And now that program has been attended by hundreds and hundreds of people over the last you know, eight years, and some of whom from all over the world, some of whom are rather wealthy people who, you know, one of one of the guys in my week has a company that he's part owner of that they're about to sell as a medical supply company for about 140 million. I mean, we're talking about really successful guys who are essentially going, how do I become most effective socially? How do I take the things I'm good at? How do I become better at them? How do I take things that I'm bad at and I have no control or understanding around and gain some control and understanding in that space? Um, it was really fascinating. And I, I, this is going to get kind of heady and academic, but uh, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, uh, you know, this doesn't sound like something I need or this sounds like kind of ridiculous. I don't, I don't know. If, you know, it sounds like a bunch of losers hanging out. One of the things that they pointed out early in this program, and it's it's interesting to, to, to consider actually is that there's this, there's this effect that sociologists have, have actually studied and it's called the Dunning Kruger effect. It's really fascinating. So named after the two scientists who studied it. And the effect is this, it turns out that in groups of people, when groups of people get together and work together in school at work, you know, wherever they happen to be, the most intelligent individuals in the group actually come off as least effective or, or, or least intelligent. That is that if you were to set the group down and give everybody an IQ test, some of the most intelligent people would actually, the group wouldn't recognize as most intelligent. And a lot of times those same individuals would not recognize themselves as the most intelligent. Isn't that interesting? It is. I I found that super fascinating. It is. It is interesting, but I have to tell you that it doesn't surprise me at all. And the reason it doesn't surprise me, and of course, I don't know Messrs. Dunning or Kruger personally. Um, <laughs> why why it doesn't surprise me is because I think uh, outliers, people who are outliers in any way, whether it's in terms of intelligence yeah. or social skills or whatever, they tend to not fit in with the herd in general. Usually it's the person who 
is sort of the the life of the party tends to be the down the middle, most ordinary and average sort of person yeah. who can connect with the most other people who tend to be within yeah. one or two iterations of that person in a variety of different ways. So yeah. actually it doesn't surprise me at all, but I still am, the concept still fascinates me. So continue. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, just to, so you're not wrong about that. Uh, so part of this is there's, there's, there's two things that I think are so fascinating about this is that the first is that in order to become or in order to be that intelligent, you have to be very, very good at, at picking out the nuances of things. Yes. Um, you're, you have to be very, very good at, at noticing where things are different mm-hmm. and discrepancies and where things are wrong and where the data doesn't align and all of that. And the problem is that that is great when you're analyzing things or when you're thinking about really challenging um, topics like you know astrophysics or quantum physics. You know the physics department at universities they say is the most intelligent people at the universities. Also happens to be the least socially. Right. You Big know, Bang Theory. Uh, yeah, exactly. Big Bang Theory. That's a great. This is a perfect example. And so what the reason is that 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 ability to point out or to pick out nuance is actually ineffective when you're talking about existing socially. And part of the reason is that you notice where you're not working and why things aren't working more than you're noticing where they're working. Because there's just so much data when you're that, interacting now with others. that's fascinating. Now, here's the other, here's the other thing that, that so wait, wait, conti- let's this. continue that thought because so the, the next thought after that thought to me would like logically be, so if you're hyper intelligent and you're great at picking out nuance and differences and you're so hyper perceptive that you can see yourself failing. Mm-hmm. Is that the gist? Yep. Yeah, that's that's basically it. You're seeing all of the situations in which what you're doing currently is not working. Interesting. You're going, I'm not. I, I'm feeling uncomfortable. This person's looking at me. This person's looking away. I'm not sure what's happening. Yep. It's like there's there's just a cloud of versus somebody who's just doesn't care. Yep. Somebody think about it like this: You're at a party. There's two different guys trying to pick up the same chick. One dude is, uh, his only focus and the only thing he thinks about is he's like, I'm fucking tonight. I just want to fuck something. That's it. There's no other thought process. It's just, and his body language is all wrong. Meaning he's way too aggressive. He's like, wait, he's looming over this girl. He's just talking straight to her face. She's like kind of in a corner. She's feeling, it's like what people would look at that and go, man, that's a real rapey dude. That's a real rapey vibe, you know? But the problem is that like he doesn't care. He doesn't have the he's not taking in the feedback himself. He's just he's just looming over her. And at some point in the evening, she's got a choice. It's either I have to leave this situation, um, or I kind of gotta get on board with this. Like one of two things is gonna happen. That's it. It's either she's gonna be like, Hey, thanks, nice talking to you, and go to her friends, and then they're gonna leave. Um, or she's gonna eventually filter in and just go, like, actually, this guy's not so bad. Actually, I've had four drinks and I kind of feel like I Maybe he wants some dick tonight or something. And, you know, he's not that bad. He's a football player or whatever. Whatever thing she reasons to herself. Um, let's refer, and let's not, refer to this, this is, as the Brendan Lemon method for the rest of this conversation. <laughs> okay, it's super not. But <laughs> it's super duper not that. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. The Brendan Lemon method is more like, I'm going to go to the party, talk to three people, just walk around for two hours not talking to anyone because I'm not sure who to talk to. <laughs> Then try to try to do something on the dance floor, feel awkward, and leave. That was the Brandon Lemon method in college. <laughs> All right, back to your story. <laughs> okay, 
So what I'm saying though, is that like, so here's the thing that guy didn't notice what he didn't notice any other stuff that was going on. He didn't, he didn't have any thought for how his, he, he was coming off socially. And eventually at the end of the evening, he might've gotten essentially rewarded by the fact that she was like, okay, I'm actually just going to go home with this guy. Like he's good enough yep. basically. Um, and he's rewarded. So what's he going to do in the future? He's probably going to pursue that type of behavior again. He doesn't think anything's wrong with him. He's not taking anything personally. And even if she didn't talk to him, he, he might not even, his thought is only, I just want to go fuck something. She's not talking to him. He's like, whatever. She's just some dumb bitch. Anyway, turns around, walks somewhere else. And this is, by the way, I want to say this not to, you know, I I don't mean to put all this out to, to treat women like objects, but in this situation, you know, we're talking about sort of the guy's behavior and how that is reflective of his intelligence right, or not. Of course. So, so then to move on to uh, this, this, this second guy, like this, and this is who I was, I think, in, in throughout all of high school and college, is basically I would show up at a party and I would be like, man, I'm really attracted to women, but I know how I'm, I don't really want to sh- show it too much because it's, you know, I'm not sure if that's, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to like figure out like an equation, like how, what, what are the things to do that I have to like, you know, take this girl home or, or whatever, and I'm, it gets nowhere. It's like a it's like a Rubik's cube, you know. That's but it's made but it's made of of but it's moving. It's fighting you as you're trying to solve it. So I would walk into these parties and I would go talk to some girl. But the first thing would be like, okay, I don't, how do I go talk to her? I got to figure out a way to sort of filter in talking to her. And there's got to be some good way to do it. And what's the perfect way? And how how does this all work together? And I, I'm just so in my head when I'm thinking about it that I'm not no that I'm not really in the moment i'm not really present and i'm not really even pursuing my my goal so if i do start talking to her it's more like um like uh what um, what's what's happening here in my head like i'm i'm saying this you said this back to me what does that mean i'm not sure what my feelings mean about this um i'm trying to like just filter through the data so much that i'm not actually even goal focused anymore does that make sense like and this can happen to a lot of i think people intelligent people because you're you're not sure what any of this data means even right because you don't have you you may not have enough life experience to really you know judge those kinds of things very effectively yeah and nobody and this is you know nobody's ever said to you or said to me nobody was ever like okay so you know when you're you just got to stay focused on what you want or something like that people would constantly say to me hey you're thinking about this too much and i was like i don't fucking know what you're talking about no I, i can relate to that yeah, so that's part of this is so that that is all wrapped into the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what's fascinating about it also is that people who are really intelligent um, sometimes underachieve and they do it on purpose because they've learned that when they were younger, if they were more intelligent, one, people would make fun of them and they would receive, yep. you know, uh, attacks from others. Two, they would receive more work from people in power and authority. I found that extremely fascinating because that was totally me. I learned that when I was six years old. I was like, oh, if I complete all my math problems very quickly, they just give me more fucking math problems. <laughs> like if I want to go play with the other kids, I have to, I just should just not do, I should just not do the math problems. <laughs> so is that, do you look back on that as the genesis of your slackitude? Yeah, totally. I compl- I totally do. I totally do. Um, and, and then the final thing, just to point this out too, is that the other thing that the Dunning-Kruger effect takes into account is that a lot of this is that you're just not, you know, the, the what is interesting to quote unquote normal people um, is just not interesting to you. That when you're sitting around trying to figure out 
you know, two plus two is four. When you're like, you know, six years old and you're like, two plus two is four, six plus six is 12. You're already thinking about, so if I had eight rows of four things, how much would that be? Yep. Like you're already moving on to multiplication in your head or division or you're doing, you're, you're doing things at a different level and it's distracting you from what the lesson is currently. It's going too slowly for you. And that was my case too, because they put me into the talented and gifted program in fourth grade. So that was clearly a clear um, error. No, I, well, yeah. I mean, it was taught. One of the my teacher in fourth and fifth grade were actually were great, but uh, some of the teachers in that program were just horrendous, horrendous bitches. Oh my goodness, just did not like the kids in their classes. So, um, so, but so, uh, so continue on. Yeah. So anyway, where I'm going with this is that this is really fascinating to me because that's one of the things they point out in this program is they're like, look, the problem is. A lot of a lot of people have trouble with with things like this socially, and they're actually really intelligent people. That you you sometimes beat yourself up over the fact that you're you're like, oh, I'm not as effective as I want to be socially, or whatever, and you think, oh, I must be really dumb. This guy can do it. I'm, well, no, it turns out it's the opposite. That your your brain is is wiring to do more challenging tasks, and this this task is just under it's, it's less challenging than it's used to. And it doesn't really know how to how to do it because it's geared towards doing more challenging things. This is um, that's you know this is like uh, go that's, ahead. That's super fascinating. So uh, you've really you've hooked me in so deep on this that like I want you to keep going. I mean, so where does this all go? I mean, what so so you learn this? You know, I'm sure you learned a bunch of other stuff too, and I'm I'm sure you can't condense it all in ten minutes. But so what was the what was the conclusion or the the recommended course of action or the moral to the story of this Dunning-Kruger effect? Is it simply a small cog in a much larger machine that was described there? Or was this a core? Yeah, tank? basically. Yeah, basically. I mean, the, the idea is they were just trying to explain sort of the phenomenon of like, why, you know, why are you feeling, what, what, where, what are your feelings and why, why are you having them? It's sort of the, beginning of this. I mean, this was just one cog. And I mean, we did training six days a week for like eight to 10 hours a day. Um, and I'm not exaggerating. It was a lot, uh, the whole week that I was in LA. Um, it was kind of weird because I actually don't really feel like I got to see much of Los Angeles cause I was just simply in this house doing a lot of this kind of training. And just basically what it was is from kind of beginning to end was just kind of breaking down sort of social presence and how you know, not just how to be socially, but how you are socially. How do you come off to people? Let's reflect that back to you. Um, how does your body language reflect your beliefs? What are your beliefs constituted of? Like, what does that even mean to have a belief? Where do your beliefs come from? How do you challenge your beliefs or change them in a way that makes them more effective for you? Um, it, it was really quite a lot of, uh, it, was a, it was just a lot of stuff, but it was extremely, it was extremely helpful. Um, does that answer your question at all? Like it was, oh, uh, yeah, it does. So it, what were, so what were your personal big takeaways? Well, there was a few of them and I'm still, I mean, it's only been a week. So there, the, um, the, the, there's, it's still kind of all settling. Uh, I think a really big one for me was the ability to, it was kind of based on cognitive behavioral therapy, the, the ability to sort of step outside of your, just sort of slow things down. Like when you're having thoughts, a lot of those thoughts are occurring so quickly that you maybe aren't even aware of where they're going. 
and to kind of step back and ask yourself like, okay, so what really happened right there? Like, so I went out, this girl said this to me, or I was in a meeting and this happened, or I'm feeling this way after this thing happened at work or something like that, whatever that happens to be and sort of slow it down and go, okay, so what, what was the pathway that led that to happening? Like, and, and, and the biggest thing about this is we actually did an exercise where we sat down and we're like, okay, what are my 10 biggest insecurities uh, to reaching my goals, whatever they happen to be. And then going through the top three of those and sort of deconstructing them by, by asking yourself, okay, you know, so maybe one of them is I'm, I'm afraid that, um, you know, my business isn't going to take off or something. And so what we would then do is sort of repackage that or repurpose it to ask these questions like, uh, by asking these questions, like, um, what is the best case scenario or how do I know that even if the worst happens, I'm still going to be okay. Or that, how do I know that even if the worst happens to my business, it's even going to be better for me. And then coming up with three answers to that question. And your brain will just come up with them. It'll go like, oh yeah, by the way, like uh, if you if your total if your business totally fails, you'll actually learn a lot more. Um, you'll know what not to do, and you'll have con- made a lot of connections, and you'll be, you know, further along. But probably your business is going to succeed because you're really smart. You've got a good plan, and gosh you know, darn you it, know the right people, people like you. Yeah, basically. But then you would repackage it, so you would say to yourself, like, all right, listen, so. I mean, this sounds so ridiculous. It sounds a little bit ridiculous. No, actually, like actually it doesn't sound me, I mean, it really doesn't. Well, if somebody had described this to me some years ago and they were like, look, this is just what you do, I would kind of be like, okay, all right, guy. Like, it, oh, this is supposed to be some magical solution to my problems. But the, the truth is that this, this is the difference. You're, you're taking, a, you're taking a, something that would derail your thoughts and you're simply putting the train back on the track. That's it. You're just going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay attention to that thought. I'm actually going to go around it and then I'm going to get back on my track because otherwise you, it could derail you if you're listening to that kind of thing. I mean, it's like meditation, like you're acknowledging that it exists and you're just moving beyond it. Like you're not taking it with you. You're not letting it, you know, affect your behavior. That was a big takeaway for me from the week because that shit happens to me all the time. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I have a whole slew of thoughts in in response to this general topic. Because as you know, this is the first time you and I have ever discussed this at all. Talked about so this, this is yeah. the first time yep. I've been exposed to this at all. And I'm thinking about several things. One is some people that I know personally have, uh, within the last say three to six months, one was last week, have attended some some event put on by. Tony Robbins. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and they, you know, of course they post wildly on Facebook with all these photos and videos of of everyone literally jumping up and down at like midnight after they've been in this room with <laughs> yeah. Tony for 12 or 16 hours or something. And I know I'm sounding really sarcastic right now and part of it is because I that's kind of how I really feel about it. I, it is that I look at that and deep down, I'm laughing. And, and if, I, I want to be clear, I don't have any knowledge to support that. Uh, I, it's just speculation on my part. <laughs> and I'm putting, excuse me. To support what? Pardon me? To support what? To support the fact that I would look at that with sarcasm. 
Ah, uh, got it. And okay. then as got I hear it. your you story, yeah, I have yeah. mildly similar thoughts, although I have to tell you the truth that I'm really not laughing because I think there's a lot of credence to, you know, what little you've shared. But, yeah. but what I'm getting to ultimately here is there are so many different ways to skin this same basic cat. And the cat being skinned is, um, you know, one of self-improvement and self-analysis and how yep. one deals with challenges in life. And, you know, my personal orientation on this is, as I've alluded to, I think before, maybe I haven't, but, you know, I'm a very, I'm a Christian and I'm a fairly hardcore Christian motherfucker um, in, in terms of <laughs> knowledge of the Bible and belief in what it says, etc. And so my orientation yeah. is the same basic lessons or, you know, the things I think, I think if you were to continue to talk for another hour, I, I think at the end of it, I could still say what I'm about to say, which is, you know, these are just methods and techniques used to, to make one's life better. And, yeah. uh, and I respect that. My orientation would be all these lessons that are laid out in the Bible. I would, I would lean on those things, but I absolutely understand and respect that there are different ways to skin you know, people's cats and that your way may, and mine too, who knows, maybe I could really get a lot out of this art of chant, art of charm thing. In fact, I'm on their website right now. Did you attend, is this the, um, is this the personal or the business? Uh, the, I attended the, the, the business. It's really kind of, they're really kind of the same program. They just tailor it one way or the other, depending on sort of what you're looking for during the week. I mean, I was one of six people there this week. So the amount of personal attention that you get is actually really, really good. So, so okay, I'm, I'm looking at that now, and it's, uh, it's bootcamp.theartofcharm.com slash business. Yeah, that's all. And uh, it's interesting because I, Brennan and I have, well, I've looked at this site because Brennan was familiar with it. Well, you have a history with these people, right, that precedes this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, they had this podcast for eight years almost, and... I mean, they got into podcasting in the very early days of podcasting. Oh, is this not and, is this not the company that you had some prior business affiliation with? No, no, no. This is this is different. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't have. A, I don't have an affiliation with. This okay, company. okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking that maybe you did. No, no. The one that yeah, no, no. The, the one that you're ta referring to is Attraction Explained, which is Adam Lyons' company. Ah, okay. Um, that, that's a similar thing, but it's different. I mean, that one is focused purely on how do you filter high quality women into your life. Uh, and how, how do you, you know, how do you attract sort of high quality women and, and what does that look like? And these guys are more like, how do you just become a successful person? Gotcha. And what are the, what are the social and behavioral functions and components of that, that we can, that we can teach you? Did you meet Johnny? I did meet Johnny. Cause I'm <laughs> Johnny D. I'm looking at the photos of these guys, uh, which is on that same page I just referenced, which is bootcamp.theartofcharm.com slash business. And there's a there's a section a ch there's a section on the page called Meet Your Coaches. And there's Jordan, Johnny, and AJ. And uh, I have to say that Johnny looks interesting. I'll just I'll just say it. I'll say it that way. Johnny is Johnny is interesting. His, his hairstyle, <laughs> which looks sort of like mid 1970s Jackson Brown with the back like gelled forward over the top to form sort of like a tarantula fingers coming at you is I've never seen this particular style. And so I, I'd almost be inclined to sign up just to 
just to see if that's what he rocks on a daily basis. Yeah, he's a little Bon Jovi-ish. Yeah, he is Bon Jovi-ish, <laughs> very much so. Okay, so Jordan yeah, and AJ were the two dude. guys you mentioned. And you said they're from Ann Arbor? Yeah, they're both from Michigan. They both went to oh, Michigan. Oh, they both went to Michigan. Wow. So yeah. it's it, it continues. It, it always was and always will be this the a, a factory of of eccentricity. Yeah, that's a that is the most euphemistic way you can put that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I go over there, which is which used to be every day until I totaled my motorcycle, um, learned so much about that town. In fact, it's interesting. I had a I had a personal uh, something happen. Um, I guess it was now probably ten days ago. I reunited uh-huh. with a, a college friend that I hadn't seen since 1980. Hadn't had any contact or communication what? with them since 1980. Actually, I'm sorry, that's oh a my lie. goodness. Yeah, no, it was no, it was 1980, and um, I got a, a message from my fr- my friend Tracy, who you know because you shared a room with them at the Final Four. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so Tracy uh, Lorenz. Uh, he messaged me, and this is this is literally, I want to say, four months ago. And he said, oh, my God, you're not going to believe it, but um, I heard from Yerd. And Yerd is the, the nickname we gave to this dude. His name is Bill Masterson. And he was just one of, the, one of the gang we had in our freshman year in college. And uh, he was the son of a five-star general and a really great dude. And he... He basically um, he 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 partied a little too hard his freshman year. He was the son of a five star general, yeah. and he partied a little wow. too hard and was gone uh, from from college. Uh, I don't re- I, I don't recall exactly the circumstances under which he <laughs> left. It was either he basically flunked out, or it may have been a personal thing where I think maybe somebody died and he had to to leave to be with his family. I really I'm embarrassed to say. I don't know which it was, but that doesn't matter. What matters is I hadn't had any contact with this dude since 1980. So Tracy says, oh my gosh, I've Uh made contact with Yerd, and uh, his son is a college basketball player, and that team is playing University of Michigan on December 3rd. And so, uh, you know, he's invited us because I told him where you live. And uh, so he's going to be flying in and, you know, uh, let's get together. So, of course, we made plans then and there to do that. Then, of course, I had the yeah. motorcycle accident. So it was it was not I wasn't sure I'd be able to go. But I did. I didn't go to the game, but I met them after the game. And it was just uh, it's just really interesting to be away from a person. You know, we're talking 20. I'm sorry. 36 years. Oh my God. 36 years since I saw him. And it was like nothing had, there wasn't, it was like, it felt like I hadn't seen him for five minutes. Yeah. You know how that goes. I mean, that's just normal, but yeah, yeah. But it was, well, I mean, I know, like, I had that myself happen a little bit because I went to LA and I saw my buddy Chuck, who you, oh, yeah, met. Chuck Ovalik. Um, yeah, Chuck Ovalik. And, uh, who is, is, he told, one of the first things he told me when he picked me up from the airport was he was like, do you know how many times I've started to comment on something your uncle has said or posted? And then I just stopped. Did you tell him I'm what I said? Scared. <laughs> yeah, I did. 
I was like, that's funny because my uncle, he's, do you know how many times he's wanted to knock you out yep. <laughs> for things you said online? <laughs> no, I like Chuck, but, you know, he and I couldn't be more different politically. Yeah, I just think that's so funny. It's like one of the first things he said to me, and I was like, that is that is too freaking hilarious. <laughs> well, you know what? There's a, there's a good moral to that story, which is at least we respect each other enough that we haven't done that, either of us. Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's good, but... He, um, I, it's just, I, anyway, just to get back is this is a friend of mine who I've known since, uh, high school and we, we, we used to hang out every single day. Literally, we used to live together, uh, in Ann Arbor and, uh, he moved out to Los Angeles five years ago, which is nuts to me because I can't believe it's been that long. Um, it just seems like it just happened. I was living in Boulder, Colorado at the time. And so he moved out to LA and he picked me up from the airport because he's a stand up guy and, uh, let me stay at his place before the the um, Art of Charm program started. And then afterwards, because my flight back to Chicago got canceled due to weather, I stayed at his place uh, for a few more days. But he, uh, he was, he's the coolest guy. And it was a similar kind of thing. Like I had literally not seen him in a year and for probably a year before that too. Like I had, I've only seen him a couple of times in the last two years, but as soon as he picked me up, it was like we got right back to exactly where we were. You know, it was it's kind of amazing. I, I, I think that for some people, you know, when you're, when you guys, when you clicked, it just, that's just how it works. That's, that's you know, human. You get right back yeah. To that's it. human chemistry. It's like, it seems like it's almost permanent in the sense that, you know, you just, we all connect a certain way with every other person. And it seems to me as if that dynamic is almost like 98% fixed. You know what I mean? It's like things oh, yeah. can change, of course. But in most cases, it seems to me that usually the way I felt about somebody when I was seven years old is the same as I felt about him when I was 37 years old. It's just funny. So more, tell me more about LA. So you didn't get out much, but I know I recall seeing you post a couple of times. Like I even recall the name of one place. Wasn't it called Seven Grand? Oh yeah. I went to Seven Grand, which is a is downtown LA and it's a really good it's a very unique uh, whiskey bar. It's this guy. L.A. is like kind of uh, L.A. is a unique. It's the weirdest fucking city. It's so weird. Um, I, I've never been to New York. I don't know how that is, but I've been to L.A. three different times for sort of there, three there different, totally different reasons. There is absolutely nothing in common between the two, and I mean that quite literally. Between the two of them, nothing. Got it. Yeah, nothing. I could believe it. I could believe it because. Going to, I mean, going to LA is like such a weird, it's such a weird city in a kind of way because it's just populated by people who are kind it's just like shit is always going on. Like even in Chicago, Chicago is the third biggest city in America. And it's, you know, I can, I can hear somebody thinking, particularly in the Midwest, like, oh man, Chicago is such a big city. There's so much going on all the time. And it is a big city, but it, there isn't always something going on all the time. Like you almost have to, in a certain way, you almost have to f go out of your way to find things that are going on in Chicago. Because, it, you know, last night, for example, I got an Uber ride from West Loop back home to uh, Lakeview, and there's very little going on. I mean, I went and got sushi for a friend's birthday. I went home, I went to bed. It's very cold out, particularly when the city gets cold out, stuff just stops happening. Los Angeles is different. It's, con it's just a constant, it is co stuff is constantly happening. And you almost have to, you have to choose, like, okay, I'm going to stop doing things now. And I have to go home and sleep. Like, I have to choose to do that. It's a very weird kind of thing. I don't know if New York is the same, but... New York, anyway, New York is actually, New York is even more of that. I can believe New York, that. New York, New York, um, the difference between, just real quickly, the difference between New York, where I've spent a lot of time, in fact, 
I'd lived in New York for two months once. Um, and I've, I've traveled there at least a total of 10 times. I've been out to LA not that many times. I want to say maybe four. But I, I, you know, I was out there enough to get a sense of it. And I'll, the main difference is density of population. New York has oh, yeah. you know, 8 million or whatever the number is. Uh, you know, that, I, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if that's the right number or not. But whatever the number of people that live in Manhattan, I mean, and then, and then yeah, the number of people that come into Manhattan every day for work, in addition to that, the density of people is so overwhelming. And it's like every block, it, there's something that looks interesting that you want to check out. Um, and I do, oh, yeah. that's not to disagree with what you said about L.A., because I, I had the same observations about L.A. in the sense that, one, the climate is just so fucking spectacular that that alone oh, yeah. is a big factor. The climate, the, oh, the yeah. climate slash beach culture is such a factor that you just kind of want to party all the time. And yeah, that's exactly how it feels. There's a real leisure culture. Yeah. And, 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 and people are, no matter what anybody says, and I'm not suggesting that people disagree with this, but I'm just agreeing with, I think the prevailing thought, it is the most beautiful city I've ever seen. I, I, I don't mean the city. The city is actually not that beautiful. I mean, the people. It is just incredible how many attractive people there are oh, out yeah. there. That's absolutely In true. fact, it's interesting. Yeah, there's, it's interesting because, there's a ton of really attractive people. Well, Go ahead. I, I, I co-founded a company with a, a, the smartest person I've ever met, Stefan Swanepoel, who's you know, a New York Times bestselling author and just a brilliant man. And he lives in Orange County, not in L.A. proper, but he lives in Orange County, which, you know, to me is just a different flavor of the same basic ice cream. Same, yeah. And so yep. I traveled out there. I don't, I've lost track of how many times I went there in the, in the last couple of years. But he said this to me. He said, um, the, the great thing about, and, and he's, from, he's from Johannesburg, South Africa. He moved to, he moved to uh, America like 20 years ago and has lived in, in California for, I don't know, like 15 years. But anyway, he said um, one of the things he loved about living in, in L.A. is that every, every person out there is aspiring to get into entertainment. You know, they're trying to get into movies or, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, all the people are constantly maintaining themselves in a way, like he's referred specifically to like, you know, waiters and waitresses, incredibly fit, in great shape. They're, you know, they're, they're physically attractive. And he's like, everywhere you look, oh, there's yeah. beautiful people. And it's true. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, I think... That's too, super true. I think that really adds to it as well. So picture party culture. The weather is just phenomenal. Everybody's out having a good time. And man, yeah, it's oh, yeah. hard to go home. Yeah, it was really... It's particularly when you're coming home to a one degree no, weather No, I mean, in no, I meant hard to go home like, at night. <laughs> oh, at night. Got it. Well, okay. Yes, agreed also. Uh, it, it, it was... Uh, it's unique. So seven grand, so just a... To, so, so take everything my uncle just said um, about the people and about the culture and just magnify that into one bar that happens to be a whiskey bar. And then with this kind of air of, hey, maybe this is a prohibition style speakeasy type of joint. And that's really what Seven Grand was. It was uh, it had kind of an anachronistic aesthetic. So people were wearing things like it was the 1920s kind oh, really? of. And yeah, and it was pretty cool. Like the the whole getup was very fun. It was uh, it was a little packed, um, but the other thing that happens in Los Angeles is that every place that you go, 
is just packed. Like every place is packed. And it's hard to, you can't venue change. Like you can, like in Chicago, if you go to one bar and you don't like it, you just leave and you go to another one. Not a big deal. There's tons of bars. And I'm sure that's the way most of the rest of the country functions. Maybe New York's different. But the problem is that in Los Angeles, you can't do that. Why? Because you, they will, they, there's too many lines and too many bars. Uh. So it's like they won't let you in. So if you're in a place and you don't like it, it's kind of like, well, too bad. You can't. <laughs> You can either leave and never get into another place or just suck it up and deal with what you got here. Um, <laughs> well, on the, on the other hand, kind of makes, a, logical question, a logical question would be, if the place is packed, how bad can it be? Yeah, well, I mean, the problem is that, you know, venues hit this certain level at which they become too packed. And maybe for a certain kind of person, that doesn't matter. They're just like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to get wasted and do whatever I want. But I don't know, for me, it's like... it. At a certain point, it gets too loud. No, I it gets too. There's just too much going I on, agree. and I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, so seven grand was pretty cool for the first like couple hours we were there. I met actually, I met a woman who is a engineer for Virgin Galactic. Oh uh, wow! She is to helping design the spaceships that they're going to use to go mine asteroids. I'm not kidding. Wow! And yeah, it totally blew my mind. Uh, she also happened to be very socially awkward to talk to you, which was kind of, kind of weird. <laughs> Do you think Just she was a virgin? With what we said before. Do you think she was a virgin I don't working know. for Virgin Galactic? Could have been. Could, could have been, man. That was, uh, it's, it's resonance. It's, uh, it's serendipity. It's, uh, it's other words that are not English. <laughs> um, so seven grand was great. The coolest thing though, there, I want to point out two things as we're running up on, I'm going to run up on time here in a little bit, but the first was uh, I went to the comedy store and saw some comedians. I mean, this is just how LA works. I went to a bar called Davy Wayne's, which uh, was a blast. It's like a 1970s style bar. This idea of like, this bar's from a different What's era. What's it called? It's like a big Davy Wayne's. Like D A V E Y W A Y N E S? Yeah, basically. Basically, either it is or it isn't. <laughs> It is. That's okay. it. D a v e y. I think it's w a n e s. I don't think there's okay. a w or a y in the second. Um, and it's literally like somebody's living room from like the seventies, and that's the aesthetic of the whole place. So this is just how LA works. Is I go out to this place and with you know some of the guys who I was hanging out with in the house for the week, and one of them runs into this woman who says she's a comedian, and he goes, "Oh, you should meet my friend Brendan. He's a comedian." And then introduces us. Turns out she works for the comedy store. And she's like, yeah, we, we're doing a show like tomorrow. Do you guys want to come out to this thing? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to come out to see a show at the comedy store. So we went to the comedy store the next day. She comped our tickets, got us all in free. Uh, and then I ran into three comedians who I knew from Chicago. I ran into Chris Redd and the Pooterboss sisters, who are all comedians who didn't, don't, didn't really know me, but I knew them from Chicago. Um, and that's just, it's, it's just kind of the, how that, that city works. It's like you just meet people and things just happen. And um, I thought that was super cool. And the comedy store was just the best. I mean, it was, it's world famous. I was hanging out. I saw, you know, Eliza Schlesinger. I saw Chris D'Elia, Bobby Lee, just a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of really famous comics who were just hanging out outside, just chilling. Just having a drink, like one table over. Well, it's interesting. And, it's uh, interesting you say that because, well, one, I, I recall you when you posted that set list on Facebook. I was really impressed, and I commented to that effect because you know, uh, uh, whatever her name is, Schlesinger, 
Eliza, whatever. Yeah. I've seen, I think, three different uh, Netflix specials that she's done. And uh, uh, Delia, or however he pronounces his name, I've watched his most current Netflix special twice. In fact, most recently, probably three weeks ago. That dude is really, I mean, not that she isn't funny. She is funny. But I was totally impressed with with him. I mean, he's really, oh, yeah, he's, he is he's really, really funny. funny. And, um, you know, uh, Newberg, Chris Newberg, our friend, and we've talked about Chris um, before, but Chris yeah. is, um, Chris was uh, a guy that I went through the Second City program with. He was named uh, Detroit's best comic. He then left for Los Angeles. I don't know when that was. I want to say 15 years ago or more-ish. Uh, yeah. Maybe 15 is probably exactly correct, but he went out there. He's been doing stand-up out there uh, all that time. Plus, he's he's produced, written. He's I think I just saw him on Facebook that he just produced uh, the 100th show or maybe the 200th show for um, a show he's now, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't know if he's, I think he's producing it or writing, writing and producing. I'm not sure what it's, the word idiot is in the title of the show. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't recall what it is. But anyway, uh, I've seen him. You know, he's, he does stand up a lot and he'll post the set list. And I'm always amazed at, I mean, these are household name people that are routinely performing at these clubs on a Tuesday night. Oh yeah. Anthony Jesselneck was oh, there. Oh yeah. Like, did you see him? I mean, it was just, I did not see him. No, I didn't see him. Or if I did, I didn't notice it. I mean, here's the other thing about this. Like it's so, it's almost so overwhelming that you're like, I may have noticed him and just, I mean, I may have saw him and not noticed him, if that makes sense. Cause it's just only if you're mildly guys are always, retarded. Well, and you're hanging out in the back Well, you become mild retarded because you're, you're, you're hanging out in the back with all of these comics and you're like, Holy shit. Everybody here is like super famous. I better just act like I should be here. <laughs> That's one view. And, uh, That's one view. Here's the, here's an alternative view. An alternative view would be, that it empowers you in the way, in a sense that you realize by being in their presence that these are just normal people, and there's really no difference between them and me. Uh, oh yeah, you know, uh -huh. just that they probably, you know, either they they've been working at this longer than I have because, as as you know, um, uh, and as anybody who's ever tried to do this probably can attest, very few people make it overnight in entertainment. I mean, some people do, oh, yeah. but generally the mm -hmm. ones that do are someone like, a, just to randomly pick someone, let's say a Mariah Carey, who has this voice that is instantly, or an Alicia Keys, somebody who has a voice that is so instantly recognizable as amazing that, that they can go from unknown to multimedia platinum recording stars overnight. But that's just singing. When it comes to comedy, yeah. you know, I don't know. Are can you think of anybody that really is perceived as being an, you know, an overnight sensation or super super young, super successful comic? There aren't that many. No, not really. And even it's funny because even the Alicia Keys example you gave. I remember seeing an interview with her. She was like, "I've been doing this for a decade before anybody heard about." Me. Mm, I don't think that's true. And, no, no, no. Go look it up. I mean, she's been doing it for. She had been doing it for some time mm. before her. Um, her single came out and uh, really blew but up. It, 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 either way, uh, I, the yeah. But I mean, I, I, your point stands. I get it. Is that it's like you, especially in a world of comedy, it's like you gotta, you really have to kind of earn your spot. Um, and and I think that that looks a variety of different ways. It was actually very empowering to me because I was like, 
it, I had exactly the feeling you had, which was, I mean, I was so, let me put it this way. When I say I was like, might have met Anthony Jeselnik or became mildly retarded, it was like, oh my God, I look up to all these guys. Like I, I look up to, you know, I grew up watching Bobby Lee on Mad TV. Like I, I, all these guys are so amazing. Like, um, I was just talking to other comics who were sort of more my level, if that makes sense, because it was clear that there was kind of a hierarchy of like, we are over here. You guys are over here. Like we can talk of a course. little bit, but this is kind of really how this is going. Yeah. And I really was more so just trying to pick up on just trying to be a sponge. Like, okay, how does this all fit together? What is the social dynamic here? Um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And the empowering part was exactly what you had just mentioned, though, which is I was like, oh, I'm in this place where these guys are, and they're just normal people. And I'm watching their sets, and I'm like, eh, these aren't, there's nothing, they're not, and here's the thing, like, they're talented guys, but they're not, there's, there's a, a number of comedians in Chicago who I thought were as talented or more talented than any of, any of them. Well, that's uh, why, who, not to get up, not to get too far off topic here, but that's why, you know, uh, I believe that. I believe that two different thoughts. One is um, you kind of have to be in one of two spots to really pursue comedy on that level. And number one is L.A. and number two is New York or vice versa. Oh, yeah. So I, I probably think L.A. is number one because it seems like that's where all the, the comics live. Uh, and I think that the difference between – just to, to echo the point you just made, that you think you know people who are funnier than some of those people you saw – well, the difference is they're fucking in Chicago and they're yep. not being looked at on a daily basis by the handful of people that probably make the decisions on who does and who yep. doesn't make it. And I think the gap, like to be, to be quote, discovered as a comic, my guess is, is really difficult because oh, again, yeah. unlike a singing voice where you just hear it on a radio or you hear somebody makes a recording, it's like, who's that voice? I need to, I need to hear that. I doubt people are sending in like, you know, like a tape of you doing a stand-up in some bar in Chicago to somebody out in L.A. And I think, oh, and yeah. so I think it's the level of talent that would be required to, quote, be discovered in a, a non-L.A. or a non-New York locale. It's, it'd be like you'd have to be basically like the Michael Jordan of comedy to even, be, even have a chance at being discovered. I think that's why what you did with your, uh, you know, with your, the, the, the show that you made of your comedy oh, show yeah, was the very Brennan Lemonism book. Right. Yeah. Like, I think that was a really good move. And I think that, you know, my guess is the way that this really works and, and you're, you're still in the world, that world. So you can tell me if this is right or not, or maybe you don't know either, but it seems to me the way this works for most comedians who make it is they probably, uh, one, they start in one of those two cities and and second is they go to those clubs that you referenced, you know, the comedy store, and I, there's two or three others out there that are pretty big, right? I don't know what they are, but yeah, uh, oh yeah, and and you and you sort of hang out there, and just like we both did in Detroit, we you 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 kind of get to know the people, the owners, the Mark Ridley of you know Ridley's Comedy Castle in Detroit, great guy, um, and you know you get known, you you either you do. Uh, open mic nights or you try to do open mic nights they see your talent and it just starts there and you just work your way up and that's the way it goes basically the same thing that i did on a very small scale that you did on a larger scale and are still doing kind of but you're not you know yeah. you get what i'm saying yep well you got i think it's a combination of things i think the world has opened up a little bit because it's clear that 
you know, some of what it, what clubs are looking for now is versus, I mean, I've seen this change even in my own lifetime because it's been 15 years of me doing this that, you know, I think the way that you just described it, it still works that way. But also I think a lot of clubs and people are like, Hey, what are you bringing to the table? How many Twitter followers do you have? How many people subscribe to your YouTube channel? How many people subscribe to your podcast? Um, yeah, you know, these kinds of things, you know, how, how, how highly voted have your stand-up captions been on Reddit? I think they're looking for this idea of like, are, is there already kind of an audience for you? And that's, that's kind of what led me to do the, to do the unbookable show is because, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, I can do this myself. Like, and, and the same thing that you just mentioned, which is that this, you know, you're the reason that these guys are famous in LA and these guys in Chicago aren't are just the fucking location. That's it. And it's fascinating to me because the people in LA know that, like I had a conversation with a lot of them about it and they were, you know, I would say, oh, I'm a comedian. And they're like, oh, well, how come I haven't seen you around? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm actually from Chicago. And they would go, oh, you're from Chicago. Oh man, that's such a good city for comedy. Like we super respect Chicago comics out in LA. And I was like, well, why is that? And that, which is weird. I didn't expect that. Um, they really, really respect Chicago comedy in LA. And the reason is because everybody who's a comedian in LA knows that people in Chicago are not getting paid for it and we're still doing it. Like <laughs> that's, that's basically the reason is they're like, yeah, we just love it because you guys do a ton of comedy. None of you make any money and you're still doing it, which just shows how much you love it and how dedicated you are to it. They call, they, they call Chicago comedians lifers. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say in response to that. It's great that they're aware of the commitment that it takes to to do comedy in and you know in a non LA slash New York in a non, in a in a in a sans payment environment. Yes, yeah, sans payment <laughs> environment. I can relate to that. But but still, my point stands, which is you know all that really matters, as I view it, is where are the opportunities if that's truly yeah. a person's goal to make it yeah. big and. I, you know, to bring it back to really what we were talking about, I think it's awesome that you had that experience. I think it's great that you were able to see some, you know, real life, you know, comedy stars, you know, in the flesh and in that sort of a casual environment. And, you know, it's, it makes me want to go back out there. I haven't been out, I haven't been out to LA for, a, for personal purposes. My last, I'm going to say mm, six or seven trips, I'm now including, you know, all of Orange County in this as well, were for pure business purposes i've not been back there you know for like to to have any sort of a personal trip in god it's been at least 20 years so makes me want to go back because i have these memories of the of the trips i made out there i i um all the personal trips that i made i was visiting a friend a guy that i used to work with when we were both working as cpas in toledo ohio and uh, this guy's name was John Jagodzinski, one of the coolest last Jagodzinski? names. Jagodzinski? J-A-G-O-D-Zinski. Um, wow. Or J-God, as we called him. So J-God moved out to Newport Beach, and he, uh, he, he transferred. We both worked at Pricewaterhouse, the accounting firm, and he transferred out to we, Pricewaterhouse has an office in Newport Beach, and he just requested a transfer and got it. And so oh he moved out and I learned so much about, you know, California from those experiences. I think I made three or four trips to visit him and he lived in this house that he shared with, 
I don't know how many people, because that's how you live out there, is, you know, they're like four roommates in a three-bedroom, you know, like 1,500-square-foot house that's like the lower level of a three-level thing. And the good news is it was, I think, four blocks from the ocean. And, oh, my God, was it just magical in terms of that, again, the climate. And we'd always go out to bars, and I was always amazed, like, it's a Wednesday night and this place is packed. Don't these people work? But yeah. But again, that's the culture. The culture is that's the whole culture. Yeah. yeah. It's just we and I also remember that a big thing out there was um Sunday morning football because of the time zone. You know, the football games start at nine AM out there. Yeah. And so people would get up and go to bars on a Sunday morning at like nine AM and watch football from nine AM until you know, the games end at like whatever it would be, 9 p.m. Uh, yeah. Because of, you know, midnight Eastern. And they'd spend 12 hours at a bar just getting ripped on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm like, what? And nobody does that where I live. <laughs> I, just, I mean, people get ripped on Sundays here in Chicago, but they're not watching football. <laughs> yeah. So I, I loved, I always loved L.A. I thought it was fantastic. Just from that perspective, like it doesn't have a city per se, at least not like I think of a city. And, you know, people don't like, um, you know, it's it's such a sprawl. That whole like that whole I don't know how big is L.A.? How many square miles is Los Angeles? It's huge. No, it's 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 enormous. Yeah, it's just gigantic. Like, I don't really know how big it is. I just know that it's gigantic. Yeah, I don't know either. But I mean, just going from. I mean, just driving around the city is just, it's just so insane. It's so big. Yeah, the traffic is truly ridiculous. And it takes nothing. Like, if it rains out there, it's a big deal. I mean, it affects traffic. Whereas, yeah. you know, I'm looking out the window right now. There's eight inches of snow on the ground. And literally, people locally hardly even talked about it. I mean, yeah, it's like, yep. <laughs> it's not even a topic of conversation. It's like... No one, yeah, no one bats an eyelash. It was... It, it's it was one degree in Chicago yesterday, and I mean, aside from people going, "Man, it's cold," like that was about it. There was no; it didn't affect anybody's day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's that that that's one thing. Is I know this is going to sound backwards, but I kind of like about living where I live, or we're, actually, we live in the same basic climate. You and I, we get I get the same weather you yeah. had, typically uh, basically three to four hours later. But I like the seasons because it makes me appreciate summer, spring, fall. I mean, I appreciate them all. Whereas the only downside I saw to the perfect climate in LA is I think you do get to a point where you take it for granted. It's like, it's just normal. Oh, yeah. So any deviation from perfection is a oh, big yeah. fucking deal. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. I mean, it was so funny because it got down the, the low at night, got down to like 48, I think was as cold as it got, <laughs> which and people were freaking out. They were wearing like wool coats. Oh, down coats. And things like this. Yeah, they were wearing like really serious like winter coats. And it's, you know, it's 49. Like you put, I mean, it's cool. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Well, it's I can but, I can even outdo that story because as you know, I for a time I worked in I had a job in Austin, Texas, not that long ago. And I didn't move there, oh, yeah. but I spent a lot of time there. And that is the worst climate in America, as far as I'm concerned, because yes, it's warm. <laughs> it's warm year round, but the humidity will absolutely suffocate you. And they have 
an incredible problem with allergens. Like you think, really? It's that big of a deal? Yeah, it is. They have a problem with cedar. And if, you're, if you've never experienced it before, and, and again, I didn't experience it personally, but I talked to a bunch of people who, you know, everybody that lives in Austin or most people who live in Austin came from somewhere else. It's just like mm-hmm. this, everybody's going to Austin. And it's, they say, oh, yeah, when I first got here, I didn't even notice these things. And after I'd lived here for like a year or two, I came down with all these allergies because they're just, they're so pervasive. And these allergies, I worked with a woman who lived in Austin. And we had a Google Hangout every single morning. That's how we worked together. Every day we had a Google, a Google Plus Hangout. And the woman was sniffling and coughing and sneezing year motherfucking round. It was so, (laughs) it was so annoying that I would say, Shannon, you know, you know, I love you because he's a wonderful woman, but I'd say, Shannon, could you please mute mute yourself until you're going to talk again? I cannot listen to you sniffle another hour. I can't. I mean, this was something I said weekly to her (laughs) because it was that bad. And, And when I was down there, everybody was just like all jacked up. But anyway, that's not my point. My point is, so the last day I was in Austin, I remember it was 53 degrees in Austin and people were fucking panicked. It was like, I recall the woman who drove me to the airport, a wonderful woman named Kelly White. She was wearing one of those Eddie Bauer, the the long down coats for women, the ones that go down to like mid-calf. Oh my you know, gosh. The, you know what I'm talking about? Those, those, yeah, those, I know what you're talking about. Those are probably about. everywhere. In, or, the, or, or North Face. You know, they're everywhere uh-huh. in Chicago, I'm sure. Like they are in Detroit. Um, oh yeah. So she had in one of those. I got in her car, and <clears throat> her body language was like it was 100 degrees below zero. She was hunched over the steering wheel. She was, like, rubbing her hands together, and she was wearing, like, mittens. And, and her, her heat was turned up to, I swear to God, like 90, and it was blasting. And I get in this car. I was wearing – I was dressed normally because, you know, it's 53 degrees if I didn't already say that. It was 53 degrees. I was wearing, like – like normal clothing and like a windbreaker. And she's like, oh my God, get in. It's so cold. It's so cold. And I'm like, Kelly, it's 53. And she's like, oh, I know. It's like, it's, it's unbelievable. And so, I know. We're all going to die. So she drives me to the airport. You know, the whole way I'm gasping for breath. I literally rolled the window down at one point. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I, it's 100 in this car. So we get to the airport. I get out. I'm covered in sweat. I get on the plane. I fly home to... Metro Detroit, I get off the plane, and the first thing I do is I look at my weather app, and it says it's 53 in Detroit. The exact same temperature same it had been in Austin. And I, 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 then, I then get home, look out the windows, and there are people walking down the street in T-shirts and shorts because it was like in March. So it was oh, yeah. unseasonably warm. And you're so used warm. to it being so cold, yeah. <laughs> unseasonably warm. So it's just... I've always found that funny that how much within the same country, you know, oh, yeah. we, we view temperature so differently, but people in California are really, really spoiled, really spoiled. Oh, so spoiled. So spoiled. It's, uh, it's funny. I was talking, I mean, I had that conversation just with a, with a friend of mine and I was like, we need to fly you out to Chicago <laughs> in January. We really want to fly you out here. <laughs> yeah, with well, Chicago, I, you know, I've always wanted to live in Chicago, and I still have mild aspirations of doing that. But the only hesitation I have is that 
I've just heard it from too many people who live there. And I really haven't heard it that much from you, interestingly, is that, you know, there are times in the winter when the wind is whipping, you know, and the lake effect and all that, where it truly is extraordinarily brutal. Oh, it's it's been, I mean, just the last few days has been bad. I bought, I, t- I, I don't know if I told you, I bought a, uh, a Canada Goose parka. It's a thousand dollar parka. What? I bought it. I got a, I got a deal on it. So I got it for much less than that. Um, less than half of that, in fact. But I bought a, a, it's guaranteed. It's like, it's a lifetime guarantee and it's rated to keep you warm up to negative 15 degrees. So I've been okay in the last few days. What's but, the brand I mean, name? Holy Canada Goose. It's not triple fat goose? Not triple fat goose. Have you heard of that? <laughs> no. That's an actual brand. Oh, really? I don't know that. Yeah, no, Canada Goose. And it's, uh, they're the, cho- they're the preferred, you know, coat of Canada. Wow. I mean, like they, people, I mean, all over that country, people buy one, they turn, you know, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, they buy one and they just keep it for the rest of their lives. And that's basically what I bought is, uh, I got it at an army surplus store here in Chicago, who's a licensed dealer. And so I've been okay, but holy shit, is it cold outside? I mean, like, cold to the point where you're, you're like my like I have to keep my hands in my pockets even with gloves on if I take them out I can immediately feel my hands start freezing um it, you know my face is everybody's face is like red when they get inside of course and I I'll get inside and icicles have formed and on my beard and are freezing I can feel the hair on my face freezing as I'm walking around I mean that's how that's how cold it is. I'm checking out uh, this online I'm checking out this brand online and and it's interesting because I'm now realizing that I have seen that logo a bunch of times before, but never realized that was the brand. And uh, yeah, that's that. That is an awesome logo they have. It really is. It's a great. I mean, if you think it's a cool logo, man, the product is is great. So I fucking what, love what makes this thing it, What makes it superior to the alternatives? Like you know, Eddie Bauer makes a pretty good down jacket, for example. What's the yeah. difference? Well. I'm going to be honest, I haven't worn all the other ones, but I mean, this one is just ultra comfortable. I mean, it's super comfortable. I think the styling looks good. I think, the, I mean, it's got a lifetime guarantee. I think that's the thing that attracted me to it is I spent, you know, like four, 450 bucks on this coat. I'm, I've got it for life. Like I'm going to be wearing this coat when I'm 80 probably, um, if I'm still around, knock on wood. But I, that was a big attraction for me is I was like, this is, I'm done. I'm done with coats after this. And then the fact that it was rated to negative 15, like it's, it's really the preferred coat also of a lot of, um, like a lot of people who work in the Arctic weather, they, they like wearing Canada goose because they, it's just, it's just high performance basically. Interesting. Yeah. I can't believe I wasn't uh, aware of this. I'm, I'm, I pride myself on my, uh, my knowledge of current and popular styles and the fact that this had eluded me to this point is uh, is disappointing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's mostly for places that are bitter, bitter cold. And, and Detroit I mean, isn't? Well, it is, but it's it's. I think it's different. And I mean, and also Detroit has a really strong Carhartt uh, legacy, you know, like loyalty, because that's where Carhartt's from. I don't, and because I Detroit, don't think so. Detroit, oh, it totally does. I've not it totally observed does. that. Well, I think whether or not you've observed it, I think it affects our perception of, uh, of, of especially winter styles and things like this. The other difference I would say too, is that Detroit is more car based, yeah, meaning that like, sure. I, I, I'm not going to get in and out of a car a lot with a Canada goose park on. Yeah. It's just too, 
it's too big, it's too thick, it's just, it's, it's not really meant for that. I think in that changes, I think, the effect too. No, that's a, that's a great point because I think, yeah, when, you, when, when you're in a car culture like Detroit, and ironically, like L.A. is, um, yep. you know, it could, be, it could be one degree out and I could wear, <laughs> I could wear anything and it wouldn't matter because the amount of time we spend outdoors is really, like yesterday as an example, and it was really cold here yesterday. I don't know what temperature was. I want to say it was probably 20, which is pretty cold. And yeah. I, I went down to you know, the, the downtown area of where I live, where Brendan used to live, a town called Plymouth, Michigan. And uh, I had to park like a block away from the Starbucks. So I walked a block to the Starbucks, got my coffee, walked <laughs> a block back to my car, which was still warm. The heated seats were still warm. The heated steering wheel was still warm and drove home, yep. you know, one minute. So it was like, you know, I was never even close to cold. <laughs> it's just the one, you know, you, the, the life, man, you're living the life. <laughs> well, you know, this show started off pretty strong and now I think we're kind of ruining it with the, as we, as the, as the conversation. As we talk about the cold weather. All right. Yeah. yeah. We should probably wrap it up. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, again, if, if this podcast, uh, if you found this podcast interesting, well, thank you for that. If, if we bored you to tears, uh, we apologize for that. In any event, we greatly appreciate your listening, uh, and we can't wait to, to see you on the next Unkview podcast. And to everybody out there, I'm going to, you know what? I just don't give a fuck about political correctness. I'm just going to say Merry Christmas because that's my orientation. No disrespect to you or whatever you might believe, but that's what I'm saying. Merry Christmas because we're probably not going to do another show before Christmas. And Brendan, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Take it easy. Have a good time. Spend it with your loved ones. Go see some comedy. Awesome. All right. We'll see you soon, everybody. Take care. Bye.